Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It's Monday, the 17th of February. What a great day to be alive. This is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. You may be celebrating uh, what is affectionately known as President's Day, although the, the holiday is actually in celebration of the birthday of the first president of the United States, George Washington. And so we're going to um, we're going to read and listen to a portion of Washington's farewell address here in just a moment and reflect upon it. Um, but I wanted to open today with the with the where in the word question for you. Where in the word are you today? Um, I'm going to I'm just going to go ahead and tell you in advance. I'm going to be asking every day and I'm going to be answering with Ephesians six this particular week. And I'm doing that on purpose and for a purpose. Um, I was asked over the weekend about this passage of scripture um, and it is it is one of those that I have been like actually implementing in my own walk of faith, in my own devotional life every single day um, in terms of my morning prayers since I was um, in college. And I've been doing it um, very intentionally. I very intentionally put on the full armor of God as a part of my devotional practice every single mor- morning. And so in Ephesians 6, the verses that would be relevant for this conversation begin at verse 10, where Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so, yes, uh, it is, I believe, a direct instruction. Um, and we could get into the uh, to the Greek grammar here, and and I could make the uh, the appeal that this is a direct instruction to God's people to actually armor up every single day. Armor up every single day. Do it intentionally every single day. Put on the full armor of God. Um, if you don't, you're going out into the world unprotected and unprepared. So why would you do that? Uh, God actually gives us this complete armor, and it starts with the belt of truth. Have the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That would be the NIV translation of this. Um, gird up your loins with truth is another um, translation of this same verse. What does it mean for us to put on 
um, this this belt of truth? What does it mean for it to be buckled around our waist? Well, first of all, it is the essential undergarment of the whole deal. Everything else is actually going to be attached to this uh, this truth girdle, this girdle of truth, this way that we're going to gird ourselves up in the truth. And so uh, it is the foundation piece of this whole outfit. And so if you're going out there into the world without the foundation garment of truth, um, you know, it, it, I mean, if all you're wearing is a helmet and otherwise you're uncovered, you know, the squishy, fleshy parts of you are frankly exposed and the most tender ones at that. So every piece of the of the armor is essential and every piece of the armor is going to be attached to the belt of truth. And so let's start with truth. Let's have that be our foundational garment today. Pursue the truth. Um, be guided by the truth. Be a person of truth. Know that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life um, because you're going to attach your breastplate of righteousness to that uh, to that garment of truth that is going to be the foundational layer of everything. So we're going to be uh, putting on the full armor of God all week this week, and I would encourage you to do it every single day. And it starts with buckling the truth around you. All right, that's where we're starting off today. We'll be right back. That is Hail to the Chief on this President's Day, and we are going to spend a little time in President Washington's farewell address. September 19th, 1796 is the date affixed to this document, and actually this very long address is read in the Senate chambers here in the United States of America every year in full. Um, We're not exactly sure how many people listen to it, so we thought we would listen to outtakes of it today. Um, and my faithful producer, Paul Perot, actually made uh, a, re- you a blew full my recording. Cover. You blew yeah, my well, cover. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. You did such a fine job. Thank you, Thank you so much for recording this more than 40-minute um, address. And we're just going to listen to outtakes of it today. We're going to start um, beginning with the end in mind. And so we've got a clip here that's actually from uh, a portion of the conclusion of the speech and we're going to um we're going to listen to this first. So we're going to begin with the end in mind. This is a portion of President Washington's farewell address. In offering my countrymen these counsels of an old and affectionate friend, I dare not hope that they will make the strong and lasting impression I could wish, that they will control the usual course of the passions or prevent our nation from running the course which has hitherto marked the destiny of nations. But if I may even flatter myself that they may be productive of some partial benefit, some occasional good, that they may now and then reoccur to moderate the fury of party spirit, to warn against the mischief of foreign intrigue, to guard against the impostors of pretended patriotism. This hope will be a full recompense for the solicitude for your welfare by which they have been dictated." How far in the discharge of my duties I have been guided by the principles which have been delineated, the public records and other evidences of my conduct must witness to you and to the world. To myself, the assurance of my own conscience is that I have at least believed myself to be guided by them. In reviewing the incidents of my administration, 
I am unconscious of intentional error. I am nevertheless too sensible to my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed many errors. Whatever they may be, I fervently beseech the Almighty to avert or mitigate the evils to which they may tend. I shall also carry with me the hope that my country will never cease to view them with indulgence, and that, after forty-five years of my life dedicated to its service with an upright zeal, the faults of incompetent abilities will be consigned to oblivion, as myself must soon be to the mansions of rest. So President Washington faithfully uh, served this country for, as you just heard him describe, 45 years. And um, the, the commitment of one individual and the imprint of his life upon our nation is really, uh, it, it's difficult to describe um, the impact of this one individual's life and the principles by which he lived in terms of who we are as a people and the foundational stones of uh, of this democracy. And so um, as we lift up these words from our first president, uh, I want us to consider some of the things that he that he talks about here. He talks about moderating the fury of party spirit. He He warns against the mischiefs of foreign intrigue. He talks about guarding against the uh, imposters of pretended patriotism. He also talks about um, those things, both public and private, that bear witness, that bear witness to the underlying principles by which we actually live. And so it's a good day for us to consider um, Washington's words in terms of the assurance of our own conscience. He talks about the assurance of his own conscience in terms of living by these principles that he outlines for others. And so what's going on here is, um, is I think, uh, should provoke for each of us this question. Okay, what are the principles that I espouse? What do I say are the principles by which I live? And then what is both my private and public witness in terms of those principles? Am I actually living out before others and the world the principles that I espouse as a Christian? We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to return to Washington's farewell address, and we're going to pick up with a piece about the dangers of party factionalism, something um, particularly appropriate for the country today. We'll be right back. So on this President's Day, we are um, tending to and attending to, listening to, considering President Washington's farewell address, uh, never never delivered as far as we know, other than maybe, hey, Martha, how does this line strike you? Um, but, but delivered via um, print media, via the media available at the time, which was through newspapers across the country on September the 19th, 1796. And, um, and I wanted to uh, play this portion of the address here read by Paul Perot, um, because I think that it is particularly important today as we deal with the mm, incredible divisiveness of the party spirit in our in our nation. So listen to our first president address that topic. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would the man claim the tribute of patriotism, who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. The mere politician, equally with the pious man, ought to respect and to cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. Let it simply be asked, 
Where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation deserts the oaths which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice? Okay, so that wasn't the clip that I thought we were going to hear, but that is a really good clip about um, uh, how morality can be maintained without religion, and the reality is it cannot. And so when we think about, uh, when we consider the the desire that we all possess to live in a country um, where we're safe and where we can live in um, in freedom without fear, we are talking about a country that is based on not only a shared set of laws where we live by the rule of law, which is important, but where we live by the rule of law that guides every human heart. External laws, um, you know, can only go so far. The internal guidance of the of the individual conscience that is formed, um, where morality and ethics are formed by a belief not only in the sovereign God, but in the goodness of that God and the calling of that God to live um, in relationship to one another as people who are benevolent and gracious and even magnanimous. And so when we think about the morality uh, of our country today, uh, what I consider the serious devolution of very, very basic values and very basic virtues, um, we can look back to the things that our first and founding president said, and we can recognize that we are seeking to live um, as a nation established on the understanding of who God is and on godliness among the people of this country. And and we can see that we have traded much of that knowledge um, for, well, for, for that which is far less. And so if we're constantly living as if we are paramount and not we together collectively, um, then we're going to, you know, we're going to continue to shred the fabric uh, of our democracy. All right. Hey, Paul, let's go back and grab um, the the piece about um, where the where President Washington is speaking in this farewell address about the threat of political division, the the, the threat that uh, that party politics can play. And let's remember that he said this and wrote this in 1796. Let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the painful effects of the spirit of party generally. This spirit, unfortunately, is inseparable from our nature, having its root in the strongest passions of the human mind. It exists under different shapes in all governments, more or less stifled, controlled, or repressed. But in those of the popular form, it is seen in its greatest rankness and is truly their worst enemy. The alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge, natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetuated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. But this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism. The disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual. And sooner or later, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able and more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. 
without looking forward to an extremity of this kind, which nevertheless ought not to be entirely out of sight. The common and continual mischiefs of the spirit of party are sufficient to make it the interest and the duty of a wise people to discourage and restrain it. It serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against another, foments occasionally riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which finds a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. Thus, the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and will of another. There is an opinion that parties in free countries are a useful check upon the administration of the government, and serve to keep alive the spirit of liberty. This, within certain limits, is probably true, and in governments of a monarchical caste, patriotism may look with indulgence, if not with favor, upon the spirit of party. But in those of the popular character, in governments purely elective, it is a spirit not to be encouraged. From that natural tendency, it is certain there will always be enough of that spirit for every salutary purpose. And there being constant danger of excess, the effort ought to be, by force of public opinion, to mitigate and assuage it. A fire not to be quenched, it demands a uniform vigilance to prevent its bursting into a flame, lest, instead of warming, it should consume. So ask yourself this morning, is the, uh, is the divisiveness of the parties today, you know, the warm fire of patriotism, or is it consuming us? Um, the first president was concerned that party divisions would distract, they would weaken or enfeeble, they would kindle animosity, foment division, create ultimate subjugation, um, that there was inherent within the party system um, a spirit of division and divisiveness. Why is that? Because we're human, and Washington understood um, our fallen nature as human beings. And so um, as you consider your own divisive spirit, which, you know, we all possess one, so as you consider today your own divisive spirit, um, I just want to invite you to be reminded that it's substantially true that virtue um, or morality is actually the necessary spring of popular government, um, that, that Washington was right. Uh, that in order to live as a free people, we must be people who are free indeed, a people free in Jesus Christ, a people whose virtues and morality are constructed upon the foundation of not only the goodness and the grace of the sovereignty of the God who is, but as people who understood ourselves to be first citizens of his kingdom and agents of his grace, um, in order that we indeed might shine the light of that uh, of that reality, of that substantive reality to nations everywhere. Washington actually concludes his statement thus. He says, citizens by birth or choice of a common country, that country has a right to concentrate your affections. And so uh, the name of American, which belongs to you in your national capacity, must always exalt the just pride of patriotism. More than any appellation derived from local discriminations, you have in a common cause fought and triumphed together. And so the we the people nature of who we are was at the heart of Washington's concern. And that which God had brought together as a people in a place to bear witness to the reality of what it means to live truly free, Washington was concerned that party divisions would ultimately drive asunder. 
Let us be people who stand today um, on the shoulders of this giant, uh, George Washington, and let us on this President's Day remember not only um, the freedoms that he fought so long and hard for us to enjoy, um, but that he lifts up to us in these kinds of addresses. It is President's Day. Uh, Be sure that you celebrate not only the first president, George Washington, but others along the way. Lincoln's a good guy to celebrate today as well. Um, We're going to be back in just a moment. We're going to talk with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about what's happening with our brothers and sisters around the world. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. So we like to uh, turn our attention not only to our concerns here in the United States of America as believers, but to believers around the world. You and I are, as Christians, a part of a global body of believers. And what our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing around the world matters to us at a heart level. Like, we're going to spend eternity with people who are Christians. Um, We may not spend eternity with our actual, like, physical neighbors or, frankly, even people living in our own households if they're not Christians. And so um, I I want to continue to fan the flame of concern, not only to evangelize those with whom we live, but to recognize our intimate fellowship with Christians around the globe. Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News helps us to focus in on the concerns of our brothers and sisters around the world. She is with Mission Network News, and you can find them at mnnonline.org, and she'll be here in just a moment. believe your family should go to church every Sunday? Do you believe that you need to sit together in the service? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Questions every parent needs to answer. The responses will reveal your level of commitment to lead your family in their journey towards God. How about this? Are you going to make your kids attend youth group or go on mission trips? Would you allow your kids to attend a different church if that's where their friends are? Will you pray together as a family? I hope you'll take considerable time to think intentionally about the spiritual character of your family and how you and your spouse can foster a strong and growing relationship with God. Parenting teens isn't for the faint of heart, which is why moms and dads turn to parenting expert Mark Gregston for help. Learn about Mark's upcoming events and check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find them online. Actually, everything we're going to be talking about today at mnnonline.org. Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? Well, I am well. I am well. How are you today? I'm pretty stiff. (laughs) Well, you should probably tell us why. Oh, it's just beginning of track season again. And so I overdid it on Friday and I'm still trying to get back up to normal. Well, so you're 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 generally so much better than normal than the rest of us that you know, I, uh, hats off. I'll just do, I'll just do hats off to you. Okay, let's um <laughs> let's start today with a conversation about international religious freedom and the International Religious Freedom Alliance. First of all, tell people what the International Religious Freedom Alliance is, and then um and and then maybe let's juxtapose sort of how it's viewed internationally and and the response here in the United States. Okay. Well, the International Religious Freedom Alliance is an organization. It's it's an alliance of 27 different countries who are joining together 
in the pursuit of religious freedom. So they're working together. The idea being that um, everybody's got a different approach to the idea of religious freedom. And um, maybe we can come together and help the countries that are struggling with religious freedom to find better ways to get there. And understanding that when you actually have true freedom to worship, to follow a faith, um, it benefits the entire country as a whole. Um, when you see countries that are in complete chaos, there's usually some kind of restriction um, where you have an inability to be able to make decisions for yourself on how to think, how to perceive, how to get information about anything. Um, but that that basic human right of being able to worship and follow your faith freely is a part of that. Um, so these 27 different countries got together at the national U.S. National Prayer Breakfast last week to form this alliance. It was the first kind of a planning meeting, um, and then they're going to start to meet together a little bit more regularly to get down into debating various perspectives, um, trying to address challenges that are threatening the freedom of religious or, uh, religion or belief. Um, that next meeting is going to be in July, and it'll be held in Poland, in Warsaw. And the whole idea here, of course, is to um, kind of underscore the different principles that the alliance uh, holds to. Um, and these things go back to um, major commitments like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the International Covenant on Civil and uh, political rights and the um, the, US, the UN Declaration on the Elimination of All Forms of Intolerance. And this is a really long one, but discrimination based on religion and belief. And then there's other documents that they, they kind of looked at and said, okay, Let's pull all this information together and boil it down to some key commitments that we will uphold. And so all of the members are committed to upholding the state ob obligations under these documents. They are committed to pursuing um, an inclusive approach, which includes the cross-regional engagement, um, consulting each other, co uh, cooperating sharing resources, sharing expertise, and really taking a human rights-based approach on advancing the freedom of religious belief. Um, so that's really what it's about. Whether or not it's a paper tiger is kind of an unknown still because um, they don't yet have the clout that, say, the international, uh, the, the, the uh, USCIRF has with the State Department. So when the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom makes a decision or says something, it has the clout to get the, the attention of the State Department, which makes policy for the country. This alliance may not have that kind of clout. So in terms of being in, able to influence other countries to make movements into other directions, that's still kind of an unknown. However, an alliance like this will be very helpful for countries that say they're trying to make headway in that direction. So like, say, Sudan. Right now, Sudan is in a, a, a transition period. They're moving away from um, a dictator and moving into a government that they're saying is they're trying to do things to benefit religious freedom and open that up. And they may not know how to. So an alliance like this could be beneficial to help countries like Sudan take those first steps. So um, I think that the the concern being raised, uh, and you all have raised it at, at in your article at MNN online um, as well, uh, is that there's a lot here that's on paper that looks really, really good, um, but in in actual practice um, or in, in the actual experience of people around the world, um, 
we have just many, many places where the freedom of religion or the freedom to change your religion or the freedom to believe or not to believe um, is it's not just stifled. I mean, it's at risk of your life. Um, And so we have a long way to go internationally and 27 countries being involved in something is great. But even on that list, there are some who, you know, we might look at and say, "Mm, there, there are evidences of offense even in that nation. And so I think that there's a challenge um, before us, and certainly this will be something that we will be watching and perfectly concerned about and want to encourage. We want to certainly fan the flame of this. Um, Ruth, let's um, let's pivot and be sure that we get these two major um, nations in view today as well in terms of our conversation. What is happening in Iran? Um, and, and in particular, like, I think we need to be calling people to prayer um, on this as well. So fill us in on what's happening in Iran. Well, we've been covering the protests in Iran, um, just kind of following how things have morphed for that country. Um, and we we told we told a story maybe a couple of weeks ago about a Christian activist. She's a, a convert from Islam, and then she became an evangelist. Uh, she's also a college student, so in all of the stuff, she has a lot of influence with a lot of different communities. Um, her name is Mary Fatima Mohammadi. And uh, she was well known as an activist in Iran. She's also been arrested multiple times. And her actions as a Christian activist um, basically cost her her college education. So she went in to sit an exam and found out that she was no longer qualified to sit the exam because she wasn't recognized as a student anymore. Um, Somewhere in there, she's been arrested multiple times. And during the last big arrest or the last big wave of protests over the Ukrainian um, uh, incident, um, she was out there protesting with everybody and she got arrested and then disappeared and nobody knew what happened to her. Uh, Our friends at Middle East Concern now say that they found her. Uh, She is in a women's prison and she has been uh, under interrogation since her disappearance. So she's also been abused. She's been tortured. Um, There are a lot of concerns about what's going to happen in the in the next, uh, I guess, flight of information. Uh, and with with finding her, now you've got to figure out whether or not there are going to be charges, um, how to intervene on her behalf. The Human Rights Activist News Agency has verified uh, what is going on here. So there are some concerns that um, the mistreatment is going to continue to the point where it could affect her health long term. Um, and now there's an issue with public criminal court and whether or not she's going to be able to release uh, enough for bail. And then potentially where is she going to wind up once the trial actually goes through? How Where is she going to be housed? Will she stay at this women's prison, which the conditions are pretty bad there, or will she be sent back to Evan Prison, which is notorious for its conditions and for its treatment of people? People die in that prison too. So our friends there are just saying, let's continue to be praying because Mary is just sort of like the, the poster child of how Christians are being treated right now. So hers was one of many arrests that took place during the protests. With the government trying to crack down and and restore order, they arrested people they considered to be troublemakers. And so Christians are considered to be troublemakers simply because they don't follow what everybody else is doing. They believe in something entirely different. It motivates them to behave differently. And Iran regards that as a threat to power. The religious leaders in Iran are very threatened by the growth of the church. So be praying for believers in Iran and be praying for Mary and people who are like her uh, in the situation where there's just really no way to defend yourself against the charges. 
I want to invite um, our listeners to read this particular um, article uh, that's posted at mnnonline.org, Protests in Iran, the Crackdown, a Missing Christian Activist, and the Aftermath. And I want you to click through the links. Um, I want you to click through um, to the links about uh, about ministries that are active in the region. I also want you to um, click through the links in the Christians Targeted in Iran portion of this so that you can better understand the issues uh, at hand and that you can commit to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, including Mary. Um, Ruth and I need to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to turn our ten- attention to Malaysia. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So on the 13th of February, um, the Coe family and a congregation in Malaysia marked um, a really sad three-year anniversary, and that's the abduction by force by a portion of the Malaysian police of um, Pastor Raymond Coe. Um, Ruth, fill us in on what we know, and... Um, this is just case is just so tragic because it's just really it's one of those situations where I I have difficulty holding out um, hope in this lifetime. But um, but tell us where you see maybe signs of hope. Well, people have not forgotten him. Um, people are still advocating on his behalf in hopes that he is still alive, that he's mm-hmm. just being held somewhere. Um, the. You know, you're right that there have been things brought to light. So the Malaysian Human Rights Commission um, finished a study last year that basically said a special branch of police was responsible for his kidnapping because what Pastor Ko was doing in just being a pastor, in just sharing the hope of Christ and discipling his congregation, that's considered considered illegal activity in Malaysia. So um, at some point, he was being so effective that someone in the government wanted to shut him down. And by taking the leader of this church, I think they hoped to be able to silence the church. Um, the church is still meeting, but obviously they've been shaken quite a lot uh, by the absence of their pastor. It doesn't mean that they're not effective anymore, but they're just missing a family member. Um, so after this report was released, people were kind of hoping that uh, there would be some pressure put on the government to respond to things. And a couple of different petitions were released, also calling on the Malaysian government to secure his release. Since they believe that the Malaysian government is behind the kidnapping, they also believe that they, the Malaysian government has the power to get him released. Uh, so Release International and Voice of the Martyrs have joined together to uh, to petition the Malaysian government uh, to release the pastor. And there are links in our article, uh, as well as at Release International, to sign that petition, to request the Malaysian government to release Pastor Ko. In the meantime, um, because there's so little response that's coming in, that's meaningful. Um, uh, Pastor Ko's wife, Susanna, is also suing the government and the inspector generals of the police force that were kind of in charge during uh, the initial days of the abduction um, because they haven't responded. They haven't really responded 
satisfactorily. So she is suing the government to try to get some response, to try to force some action there. Um, and, and it's just a very difficult time for believers in Malaysia because uh, Malaysia is not a friendly country to Christians. Uh, so they do feel like they're a very um, marginalized population. They are in the minority. They are at risk because of the persecution, because things like this happen. And when government sanctioned issues uh, occur to the church, there's really no recourse for them. Uh, unless there's someone speaking up on their behalf who has some clout, there's not going to be much justice for the believers in Malaysia, which is why organizations like Voice of the Martyrs are calling on us as believers outside of the situation to use our voices to speak up on the behalf of people who are not being heard by their own government. So whether that's calling our congressmen uh, and letting them know we want some answers on this situation or signing the petition uh, and and also joining some of those prayer movements where you can get on there and just put up a prayer uh, to encourage the believers who are working on behalf of Pastor Ko that they're not forgotten, they're not doing this alone. Um, there are multiple ways that we can actually respond to the situation. All right, Ruth, I have to ask about the locusts. I, I, there are probably lots of people in the United States of America that don't know that East uh, Eastern Africa is experiencing a problem of what is described uh, as biblical proportions. We have locusts munching their way um, across the eastern portion of Africa. First of all, tell us what's going on, and then tell us what the response of Christians is um, to this just uh, just utter devastation and, frankly, threat of uh, of really significant famine. Well, you know, when we call it a, a plague of biblical proportion, think of what was described to us when the plague of locusts hit. Okay, it's and so gross. The pictures are so gross. <laughs> right. Well, these are large grasshopper-like insects, <laughs> you know, and there's hundreds of thousands oh, of there's them. They're just millions in, of them. They're just... Uh... These things are... Okay, so yes, millions, because they're flying around in, in swarms the size of major cities. So if you took, like... I don't know, Los Angeles, and you realize that there is a swarm of insects that is flying around at such density that you can't see if you're driving through it. Um, that's a lot of insects that are primarily looking for something to eat, and they settle on any kind of green, any crop, and they'll eat it. Um, they, they, they cover huge amounts of area, so 150 kilometers per day they can fly. Um, they can consume acres in minutes. So you're already talking about an area of Africa that is prone to uh, food shortages just because of the, the weather conditions, just being in drought, not being able to sustain a crop. In some of these areas where you've got the swarms of locusts, um, they're actually finding what crops there are that are trying to recover from years of famine or years of, of drought, and they're eating everything that they find. So now you've got areas like Ethiopia, you've got uh, South Sudan and Uganda, and uh, I think uh, Somalia and Kenya are affected by this right now. That's a lot of that's a lot of space where you used to have some fertile areas that were um, recovering from years of drought. And now you're looking at a food issue, a food security issue that's going to be affecting hundreds of millions of people um, down the line because it's so many countries, it's such a highly populated area. So already 
before the locust hit, you had between 13 and 25 million people who were suffering from severe food shortages. Now with this, who knows? I mean, it, it's just going to put a strain on what's already struggling. All right. NASA has some pretty extraordinary pictures of it from space. I feel like when you can see a swarm of bugs from outer space, um, we've got a we've got an issue of biblical proportions. And so, uh, Ruth, as always, thank you for um, keeping us aware of what's happening around the world, specifically how Christians in those regions are faring um, and how we can better support them, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. We are grateful for Mission Network News, and mnnonline.org is where you find the articles that Ruth and I discussed today. Ruth Kramer, thanks so much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Okay, no, you can't see one locust from space, but you can see them when they gather in these unusually large numbers and begin to swarm. Um, And Part of what they actually see is they watch in real time spaces that were green turn to brown. Like it happens in real time as these swarms move westward um, in what is now uh, eastern Africa. All right, uh, let's, let's, let's be praying ardently for people around the globe and the challenges that they face today. Let us be praying ardently for one another. Let us be putting on the full armor of God. Um, As we do all of that, let's remember that as we intentionally put on the full armor of God today, we're going to begin by putting on the belt of truth and buckling it around ourselves. We're going to add the breastplate of righteousness on our feet. We are going to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. Those are like cleats to help us stand firm. We're going to take up the shield of faith, which, which with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We're going to put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of truth, which is the word of God. And we are going to pray. We are going to pray in the spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With that in mind, friends, keep alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We've got another hour up next. Armor up. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.